Welcome to the Grow Your Practice podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Chad Madden, owner of Madden Physical Therapy and Breakthrough. Join me each week as we dive into the best practices, systems, principles, tips, and tricks to help you grow your private practice. Welcome to the Grow Your Practice podcast. I'm your host, Chad Madden. This week, I wanted to share with you a recording from a recent webinar that I hosted. To get access to the slides and videos of this recording, you can visit getbreakthrough.com forward slash resources. Remember, this was a training hosted with a live audience, so there are real-time questions and answers that I think you will find valuable. Without further ado, let's get started. I hope you enjoyed this episode. There's a, there's a very disciplined way that anytime we have this uh, financial downfall, or change in financial pressure on our practice, we, we have to think through it in a logical way because it's way too easy to get emotions involved um, and really get us into trouble. So the first thing I'm going to tell you, it might be a, a little bit shocking, but, um, and I've talked with many other thought leaders specifically within private practice and frequently we'll say, you know, we're in a visit um, industry, meaning like the value of our business is based on the number of visits or we're in uh, it used to be referral. So, you know, if we had a lot of referrals and we were winning referrals, then we had a stronger business than one who was not. Um, Your call is important to us. I, I think we're really, um, we, we've evolved and that the, the business today, we're really in the business of filling schedules, number one, and space. And I can walk you through a short exercise of, of just how dramatic it can be. So most of us, the industry average for margins, for profitability in a business is, what do you, what do you think? It's 14% was the uh, pre-pandemic average for margins. So that means if somebody had a million dollar practice or a practice location, roughly 140,000 of that would be profit. The expenses would be 860,000, just to give you some round figures. Um, and you can prorate accordingly. Um, the problem is, is that if we throw in there a four to 5% Medicare cut, or ultimately what is on track to be a 9% Medicare cut, that, you know, if we take that million dollar practice and let's say 50% of that practice is Medicare or some Medicare replacement, and now we're taking away 4% of that revenue, 4% of half the revenue, um, that is, that's 20K less, right, a year. Um, and it becomes 40K less over two years, which now if we're taking 40K from the 140, now we're down to 100K in profit. So we went from 14% profitability to um, about 10%, right? Just because of one small change. So I'm gonna show you how I, I've come to think about it over time. Um, I've talked with other business owners as well. And um, I'll show you a, a worksheet. I can share this worksheet with everybody. Um, you should be able to see my screen. So just ran through a simple income expense. This is called a pro forma. Angie, have you done one of these for 2023? Come on, Angie, I'll, I'll give you a second try. Did you do one of these for 2023? <laughs> All right, I won't put anybody else on the spot, but you should have some sort of financial projection to see what's going to happen to your practice with um, any proposed changes that are in place, whether it's a physician fee schedule change um, or anything else. Um, the other one is there's significant upward pressure on cost, right? 
So whether it's employee cost or space equipment, I mean, our equipment expenses have just doubled overnight. But um, so this is, I'll explain some assumptions here. This is a two clinical, uh, clin CS is clinical staff. So like a PT and a PTA or um, might be, you know, two of any sort of clinician and then two support staff might be receptionist and billing. Right. And I, for th this, my assumption was 80 K per year as total clinical staff um, compensation. So that includes all benefits, everything else. And then 40,000 for support staff. Again, you might have to adjust accordingly. Um, and we're 80% of the schedule is full. So again, we're in the business of really filling schedules and filling um, filling space. So the revenue, and I assumed uh, 50 visit per week capacity and um, at $90 per visit reimbursement. And that comes out to you know, 80 visits a week. I don't know who that is. I'm not sure what that is. Um, getting some feedback. Uh, times 4.3 weeks, you come up with the $31,200 in revenue. If we have the payroll, I just gave you the assumptions there. Two at 80K a year, two at 40K a year. Ends up being $20,000 a month. Um, and marketing, I did took 5% of the 31,000. That's 1560 billing or your CBO, HR legal expenses, 5%, 1560 space and rent. I just assumed a 2000 square foot clinic um, at $4,000 a month. Con Ed, 200 because you have two clinicians a month. Office expense, clinical expense, miscellaneous, a lot of thousand each. Total expenses, $30,320. Total margin is 880. It's 2.9%. Um, and and literally within the last month, I've talked with more than a handful of owners that, I mean, this is the, they're way under 10% margin. So if we think about just maximizing the space or maximizing schedules first, sorry. Um, and we were at 100% capacity. So we just went from 80 visits a week to 100 visits a week. All other things being equal, same $90 reimbursement. We're not even touching the, payer mix or anything like that. The revenue is 38,700 with the payroll expense change. No, this stays the same, right? Does the marketing, billing, space rent, con ed, do any of these change? They, they do not, right? So we're just adding 20 visits a week. We don't need to hire somebody in order to do that. We have the capacity to do that. And if we did that, um, so same expenses, the profitability increases now tenfold up to over $8,000 a month. Um, this is roughly 21% margin, way more sustainable to, you know, uh, absorb any sort of uh, downfall. You know, three years ago, we were talking about uh, repercussions uh, for the pandemic or anything like that. If the next thing that we go to is, okay, now we have our existing schedules utilized, is there a way we can better fill the space? So this is another thing that we look at um, quite a bit. You know, it, it's, and I've worked with clinicians one on one who were a single or two clinician clinic that had more than 5,000 square feet. That is a lot of wasted space. That is a lot of overhead that isn't defrayed in any way um, at all or divided up. So if we go out here and we have four 
full-time clinicians and we add another support staff. So maybe this is an aide or a second receptionist or maybe a marketing person, something like that. And we're 80% utilized. Income goes up to nearly 62,000. Um, when we, I'm not gonna walk through all the work just so we can get the questions because I know we have a few. But um, if, you, if you go through this, with all the assumptions I had uh, the expenses cost, so we're gonna have more employment costs, et cetera. It ends up being about 56,000 a year profit, or sorry, 56,000 a month. The margin would be about $6,000. So right around um, 10%, yeah, 10.8% is the actual margin. If we go to maximizing the space and maximizing the schedules, this is roughly 56,000. And this ends up this number, oh, 21,512. And this is 27% uh, margin, right? So much more easy to observe. So the game, again, that we're playing is filling the schedules, filling the space um, in that order. How do you do that? I'll ask you. How, how do you fill space and schedules? Okay. Maybe an easier question to start with is like, is are your schedules and your space filled today? Like, do you feel like you're at capacity today or do you have extra space and schedules to fill? We have extra space. I think, I mean, I think one of the things that we want to do is establish ourselves in the community, um, maybe handle, do some type of workshops to, to get the name, our name out there. Um, also, maybe adding in some adjunct programs like wellness programs, stretch therapy, massage, to kind of fill up those empty slots as well. Um, all that kind of good stuff. Great answer, Sterling. Mm -hmm. Joanne, you were going to? I was just going to say, you know, um, we have, we've been running at um, full capacity um, for a while. We've, we've added therapists over the years. So we've got between our two offices, we have 10, <clears throat> 10 therapists right now. Um, but what, I mean, the, the biggest challenge we're finding right now, which I guess, you know, the difference between like pre-COVID and now is that you know, you walk in in the morning and the entire schedule is full. And then by 10 o'clock, you've had, you know, six cancellations because this person has a cough and this person has a sniffle and this person <laughs> where I think in the past people were a little more, you know, it's like, yeah, I kind of feel bad, but not that bad. And they would, they would come in. Now I feel since COVID like, um, the schedule just gets wiped. Like, at last minute and so you know we have a wait list and we're calling but you know sometimes we're able to fill some of the slots but a lot of times you know we're not um and then i find i don't know if anybody else finds us the beginning of the year like we have a lot of people that so our schedule isn't full right now which is the only time of the year that is usually not full is january and then it it builds back up again i don't know other people are finding that what uh yeah so that's a normal phenomenon um or at least i it's very common what what have you done to remedy that at all um, honestly nothing um we've 
<laughs> I need to look at marketing for the new year, but you know, we were, I would say 11 months out of the year were at capacity. So it's always that fine line of, you know, now you have wait lists and people can't get in and then they're upset. And um, I don't know, it gets, it gets challenging. Okay. So is it fearful of driving up demand for your services in January because of the other 11 months out of the year? Is that what the... Yeah, you know, it's not, it's not fear. It's just, you know, we're, we're just running, 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 running. All of a sudden we hit January and it's like, oh, it's not full. Um, you know, where is the other months we just don't experience that. So I guess not anticipating that we may run into that. Um, we just don't seem to do that. Yeah. The, um, easiest, what we've found is around this time of year, the easiest place to go is your, your patient list. So are, are you, and uh, Joanne, just to jog my memory, you, you had the, the friend who was a, an owner that was doing the webinars, right? In New Hampshire, Vermont, something like that. You, you mentioned somebody on one of these calls that was doing the webinars. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, um, the, and that, I mean, you can certainly look to do that for marketing, but what, you know, the, the easiest thing to do is reactivate past patients. Um, I mean, the lowest hanging fruit, you, you have an established practice. So are you emailing anything to your patients at any point in the year? Cake, right? If you had nothing but an email going out, <laughs> your, your, uh, patients, how are you? It's been six months since we've seen you. My guess is you're probably going to get more reactivations than you know what to do with. And you could easily fill up January. So some sort of communication point, whether it's email, which is preferred and very inexpensive, or uh, direct mail, right, which can work in some areas as well. And we just, we use both. But um, yeah, e email is quick and easy to fire off and uh, just get your schedules full again. Mm. My, the other follow-up question I had for you, Joanne, was you talked about um, having 10 clinicians in two, in two locations. If, if you had more clinicians on board, do you have room for them or is it that space pretty much maxed out? We're pretty much maxed out. Um, like I have, maybe I could fit in one more full-time person between the two locations, but um, I don't have, we have six rooms full in one location and then um, three in the other full. Um, but they're not every day, but yeah, most, most, most of the space is taken every day. Okay, cool. Awesome. So was that just for you, Joanne, and you, Angie, that I can see, Sterling, I can hear you, um, going through and thinking through filling up your space, filling up your schedules, was that a, a good way to think about the practice moving forward? Yeah, I definitely agree, Chad. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, please go. Um, we, we've done both the email and we haven't done direct mail out, so that's coming, but we have done the email. But what I found that was really, really interesting and very, very um, uh, productive was the text campaign. We, we downloaded all of our previous patients and anyone that we had cell phones on. It was a personal message by me, the owner saying, hey, just wanted to check on you, see how you're doing. 
And um, if you have any needs, just come in for a free screening or a free checkup. And it was super powerful because it was more personal. Um, and I think there's more of an open click rate, uh, you know, whatever the word is, for text versus email. So it worked out really well. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing. And mm -hmm. yes, the, the texting is significantly higher response rate and you're going to get an email. I mean, are, the emails that we're sending out are between 40 and 50% open rates. Mm -hmm. uh, the response rates are less than that. Texting you frequently can get um, an 80% or more open rate. Is that what you found, Sterling? That's correct. Yeah, we have we use Weave as our phone system and it allows us to, I mean, we're not using our personal phones. It's actually coming from our actual actual work number and they can text us back. So it's super cool. That's great. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That's yeah. Any way that you can communicate with your patient list. Um, and yeah, just you want to be doing what they're doing. So Sterling nailed it there for you. The okay, so filling space, filling schedules. The other thing that I wanted to mention is uh we underneath it all, there is a, a hidden metric that we frequently don't talk about in private practice. Now, if we were looking at and we were talking with a friend who's, you know, a personal trainer or massage therapist or an attorney or anybody else in the service-based business, frequently we'll use this as a measure of how good they are. And it's really their rate per hour. But something happens when we step over into private practice, we just stop looking at that. Um, but it, it's significant. So, you know, if we're, if 50 visits a week is roughly a patient every 48 minutes um, as a clinician, if, if that's the standard, that's where we're at, you can adjust up or down accordingly for you. Um, and, you know, our average reimbursement is, um, let's say it's $90 a visit. That's an average hourly rate of $112.50 an hour, right? And we can, you know, you would assume that if, an attorney was $300 an hour, an attorney was $50 an hour, that there is some difference in the quality of service that that attorney is providing or fill in the blank with massage therapist, masseuse, uh, personal trainer, et cetera, right? And it, so as clinicians, we can start thinking about that as well. It's the right way to think about it as a, a business owner. And what we've seen in practices is like, especially Joanne, you mentioned the waiting list. Like it, you know, are there $55 visits on there, you know, that cap the visits a lower payer or something like that, that we can create enough demand and enough of a wait list where we can um, get rid of participation there. Or the other thing to think about would be adding a cash pay service for people that are coming in. Is there something, something else that we can add, um, you know, like we use light force laser or something else along those lines where we can increase um, the revenue uh, per hour for the service that we're providing. There are the main points that I wanted to go through, Andrea. I'm more than willing to go through the, the questions. Now that Sounds good. Um, do you all have any other questions that you wanna ask before we dive into um, the ones that have been sent already? 
Um, my biggest <laughs> challenge is still staffing. <clears throat> I mean, I feel like we lose a lot of our <clears throat> potential patients. We do the email campaigns, but um, our staffing is so bad, it's a carryover of response to the emails and texts and everything else. So, so yeah, <laughs> I'll give you three potential solutions here. Um, number one is, uh, well, first of all, just to let you know, in the context of the economic environment, it, it's the pendulum seems to be starting to swing back the other way. We literally had zero um, aid or receptionist billing candidates for the very few for the last six months. Now, all of a sudden, we've started to see a pretty good influx of them coming back. In. Right. Um, same thing for DPTs. We went from two years ago of having a wait list, having a, a pipeline, a bench, if you will, of DPTs to now, um, or six months ago, we, we were down five PTs. And now we're back full capacity with, um, we interviewed one and we just don't have a position for her yet. Um, so that that's good news. Um, I did a video on LinkedIn recruiter. You should have access to that. But how I was using the recruiter to message uh, people specifically within my own network and how well that was working. And here's the key that I can tell you is uh, what I did in the beginning was the first seven or eight messages that I tested was uh, ask them if they were looking. The second that I converted over to, hi, Angie, this is Chad. Um, by the way, we're, um, we have a position open. Do you know any PTs that are looking? That The second that I asked that question, my response rate went up significantly um, on LinkedIn. And by the way, with LinkedIn, you can section out way more specific um, demographics than you can on Indeed or anything else that I've looked at. Okay. So they're personal messages that you send out within your network, but it's basically we have a position open. Do you know anybody that's looking? Because then you're getting the power of their referrals as well. And yes, we've had people refer um, okay. other clinicians. The next um, next place I would think about is uh, over the last three years, mm -hmm. a lot of colleges and universities are really hurting for clinic placement. And it, it's just, it's a pathway to open up a conversation that might've been closed off in the past. So we've revisited that. Um, mm -hmm tried to strengthen those relationships as much as possible. Um, the, the, the final thing is um, at uh, Breakthrough Live in Orlando, you're in Florida, right? Yeah. So we're coming to Orlando February 16th through 18th. And I'm doing a session specifically on how to take a, how to build a scorecard, um, which is, that's from the book who you've probably have seen us Teach that before and then how to take that and write a more compelling ad than what most of us do so um, that has worked well for us mm. where if you can write a intriguing compelling very detailed ad of exactly what you're looking for there's a higher likelihood that you can attract the the, the right person and repel the, mm. the wrong person but uh yeah in, in general the market is it's coming back, but it's not where it was. Right. Yeah. 
No, I see the difference. It's just right now, even my front office, everyone is training right now. So it's it's hard <laughs> dealing with yeah, a whole new new team. Because we had like a revolving door. They just, you know, even we would hire someone and they would barely last. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. And just be aware I'm not immune. We're literally, we were just talking about, we just had somebody their last day was Friday and yeah, just didn't work out and completely get it. Yeah. Any other questions or or issues you guys would like to bring up and discuss? That I'd mentioned with the insurances and stuff. Um, I mean, the one the one strategy that we have had to use just because we we see a patient for an hour, we're a manual therapy clinic, and we do all one on one care. Is we had to really evaluate, um, you know, what what the insurance will pay for that hour. And we had to pretty much dump every insurance that, um, you know, the Harvard Pilgrims, the Cygnas, the Aetnas that just don't pay us enough money to make that hour worthwhile for us. Um, Great, you're way ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Survival. <laughs> so. Yeah. The, um... Yeah, I mean, lots of horror stories there that I've heard. Um, usually, the most common thing that I hear, Joanne, is owners will be reluctant to pull the trigger on going out of network because they don't want to upset pearl sources. Um, yeah, just a week or two ago, I was on with a owner in New York State is notorious for low reimbursements along with New Jersey. And they they were averaging, I think it was $64 a, a visit. That, that's it's tough to keep your doors open. So they had to do, you know, 30 minute visits was the only way to, to make that work because their overhead is significantly higher than the average. So. Our, our threshold is if they don't pay us over a hundred dollars an hour, we don't accept them. And that's the bulk of them. Uh, Blue Cross is fine and Me Medicare is fine, but um, Martin's Point's fine, but, and TRICARE. But other than that, we're not in network. <laughs> smart we had one question come through on that topic um, from kirsten asking what is your experience with negotiating contracts with insurance um is that something you might be able to speak on joanne the only one that i attempted to was etna and i finally just had to dump them because what you know what they said they were going to pay me an increase i never saw an increase and i got tired of fighting with them um i don't know i i i i, I personally haven't found out a strategy um i've just found it better you know like somebody has united healthcare i get paid more for being out of network than i get paid for being if i were to be in network so sometimes for united i'll get 170 an hour um for yeah in that work, they'll pay like 75. So it's not worth it to even join the network. But the nice thing with them is we can still bill them on behalf of the patient. And most of the time they have out of, out of network benefits. So they can still come. They're just gonna have to pay generally a higher deductible. That's great, thank you. 
Chad or anyone else, do you have experience negotiating insurance contracts? Yep. Any secrets to share? Um, I so the at least at one point, especially early on in private practice, mm -hmm. I just kind of had this understanding that uh, you know, we have Select Medical headquartered here, Dreyer, which is now upstream, was headquartered here, and I just had this thing in my head that, you know, they were getting like double or triple the reimbursement rates. They're not. It, it's, I mean, at best, larger companies that are negotiating, Select Medical has over 2,000 locations. I mean, at best, they're getting 10% more um, than we are. It, it, there's not a significant difference. So everything that Joanne said is spot on. I did a podcast with this with Ben Wapker, where he talked about uh, going out of network with United Healthcare in Seattle and that how successful that was for them. That's the only way that I know to negotiate. Um, also just talked with an owner who threatened to do that. And she received, a, I think they went from $70 a visit to $77 a visit. Wasn't, wasn't nearly as dramatic as what most of us are dreaming you know, where they're going to go from $70 a visit to a hundred that I don't see that happen anywhere ever, like not a single case. Got it. Thank you. So a lot of the questions were kind of bucketed in two categories. Um, the first was really on defining reimbursements. And I think you've mostly spoken to it. Um, People are just asking, how do you hedge against declining reimbursements and how can we increase revenue with the continued cuts? Is there anything else that you would add um, beyond what you spoke about with um, filling space and schedules? Yeah, so one of the more common things that I've heard owners talk about is RTM. And we're literally doing this as well. So we're piloting remote therapeutic monitoring. Um, I, I will say this, I have a slight long-term hesitation that so rtm is when somebody comes through it's a way to monitor them performing their home exercise program and the insurance companies primarily medicare federal payers right now are reimbursing and this is actively changing this is new or you know within the last 12 months my my hesitancy is that we're still relying on insurance company reimbursement so, you know, by the time that we build out an RTM program and we get it rolled out, Medicare could easily come back and say, okay, we're giving you $160 for this service now for one or two months of service, uh, but that's really 80 today, right? It, it's another potential cut in the future. Whereas if we're going, you know, long-term, if we're finding uh, affluent clients and by... What I mean by that is not necessarily uh, that they're wealthy or any sort of uh, socio-demographic uh, threshold, but that they're willing to invest in their own health. Um, and they have a history of doing that. And we're marketing actively to that clientele. They're more likely to buy what uh, any other cash pay service that we're going to. So rather than just rely on, stand on one leg with the insurance company in that relationship, and have to do that dance, we're always going to be more secure, more stable if we think about serving hundreds or thousands of people in our community and finding the ones that are willing to invest, you know, that are willing to buy a gym membership or buy 
vitamins or whatever it is, you know, they're willing to invest in their own health and we cater to that public, we're going to be much better off long-term by selling cash pay services. What other types of cash pay services do you guys offer? So, well, I mean, right now it is, um, we do one-on-one cash pay services with the PT, right? So if they're discharged from therapy, we, I think, uh, most in, most recent year I remember is we did over a million in cash pay services, um, but it's primarily that where we're literally providing PT services that are no longer covered by insurance or we're out of network, um, and it's some sort of extension of their physical therapy. The other one is we offer light force laser in all of our clinics. the The hourly rate is high. We've seen excellent results with it. Um, as well. But uh, on a national level, Joanne, I can tell you, the we see a lot of owners doing uh, supplementation. You know, they're selling a subscription to vitamin or uh, perhaps nutrition uh, counseling in there as well. Um, we see a lot with uh, integrated services, you know, offering acupuncture, dry needling is really popular. I'm in Pennsylvania, so we can't offer it. Um, with a PT license, but uh, yeah, dry needling, acupuncture, massage therapy, other integrative services um, that are in there. The one that I started investigating most recently is uh, HBOT, <laughs> which is a it's hyperbaric oxygen therapy. I just started looking into that. Um, yes, NuFit. Um, as well, uh, Innovus has some other cash pay services that many of our clients are using successfully also. Yeah. Good question. Yeah, we do, we do some supplements, not a whole lot, not all of our therapists are really comfortable in that arena. So that's made it, uh, a little challenging. Yeah. The, I, I can tell you the practices that I see do it the best take that component, eliminate that component from the clinician as much as possible. It, it's fine when it's one or two clinicians. It's significantly harder when you have 10, 20, 100 clinicians that everybody is firing on all cylinders. It's easier if there's one contact person who's making that presentation of whatever the service is. The, the other one that just came to mind is a small group fitness. Personal training or small group fitness is common. Thank you. Thank you. Frank also submitted a question um, just around, he said inflation and staffing shortages are driving up costs. In our industry, these costs cannot be passed along to consumers due to insurance contracts. How will we maintain profitability under these conditions? Um, yeah, I know this is what we've been talking about, but I do think it's interesting to note that, you know, mm -hmm. all industries are experiencing inflation and staffing challenges, but, but within, within private practice, you do have the limitations of, of how much you can be reimbursed for your services if you're in network. Yeah, there, so this is a, again, a little bit controversial and as a licensed clinician, none of us would ever want to hear this because it somehow takes away our perception of how valuable we are in the marketplace. 
but the, all indicators are is that we're becoming less valuable over time for our dollar, you know, for for our license and the services that we're providing, which is not not a good feeling at all. The, there's a an idea, and I've heard uh, three different thought leaders in healthcare say this now that the service becomes a loss leader, very much the way that hospitals treated family physicians, where they were essentially bought, you know hospitals would go to conferences and they were learning how to buy up family physicians and essentially their referral patterns. Um, and then they would, you know, create an, an imaging center and buy the MRI. This exactly what happened here. Bought the imaging center and then went the every family physician to refer, you know, to it was Tristan, now it's UPMC for diagnostic imaging. And they're buying all the other ancillary uh, referrals. The idea of how that would be applied in PT is that the PT service itself or whatever healthcare service we're providing, OT speech, et cetera, is a break even. And then the only margin that we have is within the cash pay service. That, and again, I've heard three different people mention that. I don't think the marketplace uh, is ready to hear that yet, but I if things keep going the way that they're going right now with declining reimbursements that and upward pressure on costs to keep our doors open, that's a very real possibility that we might, you know, just shrink our margin to near zero within the actual service, but we might have to be providing other services that are cash pay related and higher margin just to be able to survive. What a downer, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I know we've been looking at expenses. You know, one thing that I was looking at was, um, you know, credit card. We have a lot. We 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 do a lot of cash pay um, clients um, because we've gotten out of a lot of networks. But um, it, the credit card fees are very expensive. So you know, between the two clinics, it's you know, probably getting close to a thousand dollars a month just in credit card processing fees. Does anyone pass on those costs to the clients? Is that allowed if, um, say, somebody is a Medicare patient and they have a coinsurance, they don't have a deductible? Is it allowed to pass those kind of costs on to clients? That's a Paul Well question or a BCMS compliance question for sure. I, I think I know the answer, Joanne, and I, I don't even want to, this is being recorded. <laughs> There's no way. <laughs> no. You're talking to Paul in a week, right, Sean? Yeah, talking with Paul next Tuesday. Yeah. Let's write down the question and uh, we can ask him then. We'll send you the, it's a podcast episode, so we can send it to you, Joanne. Okay, yeah. thanks. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just kind of looking at all of, you know, how do we, how do we, because obviously you have a lot of fixed expenses in your clinic. You have a lot of variable, you know, and that's, that's definitely, definitely a variable. Is it, you know, is it something we can pass on? And we're just kind of looking at all those areas that we can affect change on um, or potentially. <laughs> yeah. Chad, do you have more information on the RTM? You said you guys are doing that right now. Yes. We yeah. What would you like to know? Um, what 
does it require any specific, as you said, train, like rolling out full program? I, I just briefly heard about it, but I haven't looked into it yet. Yeah. So there, the way that I understand it, the companies that we interviewed to pilot with, um, and by the way, Pennsylvania is very rough to get it rolling um, because we cannot use a PTA to do RTM. Most, I think it's something like 41 or 42 other states you can. Um, for some odd reason, Pennsylvania, you cannot. So there is the type of, um, yeah, the type of company in RTM where the clinician is doing all the work. They're doing the follow-up, everything else. We chose uh, Limber um, specifically because uh, they were one of the two companies that we were directed to. And, and they do the work. They provide a clinician. They have a PT, Olivia, who does all of all of that work for us. And she's remote, but she handles all of the all of all of that. Um, okay. It doesn't take away from our we're a manual therapy clinic as well. It doesn't take away from the time from the stuff, right? Yeah, that would be ideal. And you said that's Limber. Limber, yeah. I I did an interview. Um, Andrea posted there uh, a blog post. I also did an interview with a. Uh, Brad Saunders, I believe his clinic is called uh, Coastal Carolina. I'm probably butchering that a little bit, but I'm close. I think they have 10 locations and they rolled it out with uh, all of their clinicians. And uh, yeah, he, he did a nice job sharing there. Yeah, yeah if you go to the link, um, I sent a blog post that the interview is, um, the video is embedded in that blog post too, if you wanna check it out. Okay. Thank you. Cool. Um, Erica posted, or she said this is Fran, not Erica. She posted a question in the chat. What do you think about offering personal injury services to clients without insurance? Is it worth exploring? You can do it. Um, we So you can do personal injury until you get burnt. Um, and what burnt means is that you provide your services you're waiting to get paid, waiting for the settlement. The settlement happens and they disperse all the money and you're last in line. Um, you're gonna wanna do that one time. <laughs> you're not gonna wanna do it more than that. We had one, um, the total, and this was a bad case. I remember the case, um, I'm guessing the, the total service was over $10,000. Um, they, The client won, but by the time the attorney was paid, the hospital was paid, all the other, we were last in line and we, we got zero dollars. So you don't want to do that. What we've done is we go to, we will work with, um, it's either two or three attorney offices that I know personally. Um, and we get a guarantee that we're going to be paid um, for the services. You're also waiting a long time. It's not um, PI, personal injury. You're not getting paid as you go along. So you have to be comfortable with financing and waiting on that money for six to 12 months. Um, I can tell you it's less than 1% of all the business that we do. So we only take very select cases that, that whoever the attorney is has to call us and guarantee us that they're, we're gonna get paid because we don't wanna be burnt again. Okay, because we used to do it, but we did get burned at one point. Yeah. And so we stopped. But now we're hearing from different attorneys, you know, well, all the offices are doing it and we have special agreements with them and that type of thing. But even the lien that they sign, 
I even had to fight to get the money after they signed that lien. Yeah, I I, um, I wanted to circumvent all that after I got burnt, um, figure out a way to do that or talk with, yeah, I mean, they're kind of making, it sounds like they're using like fear of missing out for you. You know, we're working with all these other people you need to work right. to. Why, why are they even contacting you then? That doesn't make sense to me. Well, we used to do a lot of business with them until we had an issue where I actually had to write a letter to the bar. Yeah. So I'm shocked that they're even contacting us again after all well, of that. I, I mean, I could you put it on them, Fran, and just ask, you know, how could you make sure that we don't get stuck again? How can you guarantee that we won't get stuck and let them solve it so you're not having to make a decision? Okay. That sounds good. Hey, Cheryl. Good. What's up? <laughs> um, I thought Thomas had a question there for a second. That was funny. Hey, Chad. Uh, um, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Frank. So I just had a quick question. Have, have you considered or explored um, networking? So having several different outpatient therapy practices kind of pull their resources or create a network in order to try to manage some of the increasing expenses related to running a practice and even potentially benefit um, or a possible benefit uh, from a recruiting standpoint. Because like most people in this meeting, um, and we're, we're down seven PTs at the moment. Um, you know, we've had as many as five uh, you know, outside PTs or PRN PTs, you know, they cost us about 50% more um, annually than a, than a full-time PT would, would cost us. But not hiring that person, you miss the opportunity to see those patients that are coming through your door. Um, and in my mind, not only do you miss the revenue that's coming from that patient, but you lose the opportunity to see that patient in the future. Um, and I give my competitor an opportunity to see that patient and build a relationship that I would like to have. Uh, so we're willing to take on that expense. But it is difficult to, to see a path forward given the decrease in reimbursement and what it costs us to hire uh, desk, aides, everyone essentially. Yeah, so your original question, Frank, was uh, networking with other owners. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's how Breakthrough started. It was uh, literally back in 2011, 2012, there were 10 of us here in, might've been 12 uh, practices in central Pennsylvania that, you know, we, we were, we just decided we were getting, we felt like we were getting beat up a lot. And it was a, a very specific insurance change that happened. And yeah, I mean, and I don't talk with everybody in that group now, but yeah, it originally came from sharing ideas. The the caveat with that, the downfall typically is exactly what you said is, you know, for example, Brian Cardin and Steve Miller. I used to work with them. Their, their practice is about 45 minutes away from where we're at. And uh, we, everything is very amicable. You know, would it be amicable if we had two practices within a mile of each other, right? Right, right. Um, yeah, so that's where it gets dicey. Um, I, I think, especially with today, like, for example, LinkedIn, you know, all the other social media 
places. It is very, it, you know, any sort of association within your region, it's very easy to make a small group of six or 12 people meet on a quarterly basis and refer back and forth. We do it all the time. So mm -hmm. th there's a small group of owners where we'll interview a PT. They don't want to work exactly where we're at in central Pennsylvania. Maybe they're closer to Carlisle. I will send, I mean, I've referred uh, a former aide who went back to DPT school down to Brian and, and Steve already, and they've referred people up to us as well. So yeah, that, um, yeah, and Andrea just posted, there's a Facebook community that we have with roughly 2000 practice owners in there, Frank. Great, thank you. You're welcome. Um, we had a question from John and I see if John, I see that John is on. I don't know if you're there, John, um, but yeah, I see. Yep, awesome. I'm here. Cool, uh, did you wanna ask it or do you want me to read it? Well, I think I think the, the the theme, you know, I think the theme is going along with, you know, we were looking at our P and L and all those things between twenty one and twenty two, and just just the sheer cost of how much more expensive everything has become. And I think that's the the common ground that I'm hearing from everybody else, um, especially even just to get people to stay, getting them a significant raise as one of those things that we did, and and. Um, you know, I think a lot of PTs struggle with, you know, software and we're using an out, outsourcing our billing right now, which has not been uh, as good as in-house billing. So I think that was kind of, you know, my question was, you know, what are, what are practice owners paying to go through and get their billing done? I know what industry averages, um, you know, what kind of success people are having doing that. or most people doing in-house billing or the, I mean, if I can speak for everybody, um, we, we see both, you know, the, the issue with in-house, um, is it's not scalable. Mm -hmm. Um, and I mean, that was a problem that we just ran into this year. We did a system switch within the EMR that we were in. Um, we got behind on AR and, we need really two extra people to work that they are on the delay of posting that we hit. And now we have to go out and hire those people, right? The, the other way, if you were outsourcing it, um, five, five and a half percent is typically what I hear most often. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's what I'm paying five and a half percent. So, yeah. so the, uh, is, the most significant thing, and we did this years ago, pre-pandemic, but um, in looking at that, um, John, the, what we found is that when you're outsourcing billing, the key thing to look at is to make sure they're spending enough time working your accounts receivable. Because for most, yeah, for most billing companies, if they're not investing time there, they're thinking that's, that's difficult money for us to collect. We can't possibly make money on the five and a half percent. We don't really care right they don't care about that as much as you sure. do right so that's gone and you, you want somebody that in talking with other owners that they're that they are spending the time in ar to get that hard to get money for you yeah and i know i mean i think that's probably the other question i mean i know we've worked our way through several systems and i know there's no perfect system i don't know you know if most people are using we use web pt 
I mean, when so we use systems for PT, we've used web PT, we use different systems. And I know there's each of them have their own, you know, issue, you know, no system's perfect. And I think that's probably, you know, everyone's feelings. I don't know if anyone has a stronger feeling about any, any other system or. I have very strong feelings. <laughs> yeah. I probably shouldn't be talking about. Uh... <laughs> So when we went through, um, we were in MedEnt for a long time, which very few PTs were in MedEnt. It, it was a physician. Mm-hmm. What's one of the ones we've been looking at recently? Yeah, MedEnt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, you're going in an Apache helicopter to fly to get your mail, like to the mailbox. It's, it's way more than what you need. PT. Yeah. Unless you're, do you have an integrated service practice? Well, we are in the middle of, of doing that. We may have a physician join us, but we're looking to do more just cash-based uh, services. So, so I don't think I'll need that. Yeah, MedEn is for the physician. It, there's going to be so much in there. 90% of it, you're not going to need. Yeah. Uh, and we, we ran with that for like 16 years. It is a premium price tag. What was important to us is we wanted um, to... And we looked at nine EMOs. Um, so for us, we wanted backend data specifically on multi-location clinics. Like we wanted to be able to break down where um, easily get access to the data for what was going on in each office. And the best for us was Raintree. I mean, they, they made a, their living. And for years, they Raintree was sending all of the single location practices to WebPT. Um, and they were primarily multi-location so that has worked out well um for us but yeah that's not for every person on this call angie and joanne do you want to share what you use we we've been with clinician for um oh my gosh i want to say like 16 plus years um as well and you know we've we've seen a lot of ups and downs uh things are moving slowly now but they're they're now partnered with web pt which um, I haven't seen any impact of that yet. Um, as far as your question on billing, we had them as our billing company for many, many, many forever since like we joined them and we just brought it in house this last year. Um, I finally found somebody that, um, wanted to do that and was good at it. And I, I felt, you know, what you were talking to Chad is, is, the low hanging fruit, you know, it would, it would be like 30 accounts that all had one visit that wasn't paid, but that wasn't, it wasn't lucrative of them to follow through on those one visits, even though each one of them meant a hundred dollars to me, you, you know, like, so it's nice having it in-house because, you know, she definitely prioritizes and, you know, based on what they were charging me, I, I think I'm um, about the same um, as far as expenditures out. Um, so, and I feel like all of my AR is getting looked at. So I'm much more comfortable now with it, but you know, it just depends on your practice. So we were using WebPT for many years and right in the midst of the pandemic, we we thought it was <laughs> it was a great time th since things were kind of slowing down to make a switch and switch to prompt EMR. 
Um, they are relatively new. So we started out with some kinks, um, but we've seen a lot more improvement now in, in the system. I think when we started with them, um, they were really, really new and they've been adding a lot more features. So I really liked um, the fact that everything was very integrated. I have multiple facilities also. Um, so scheduling and being able to see the billing portion and you know um, clinical staff in the same um, one system was a, a big thing. And they also had the integrated tele-rehab in the system, which made it great during COVID, you know, the heist of everything, not having to outsource to something else, which is still available. So it integrates with a lot of things and they're constantly, um, I think because they were starting, they're very good about feedback. Um, so really, I, I um, teaming up and, and getting um, additional features has always been not a difficult thing. They, they really listen to the staff. Um, so, and they're constantly evolving. So I think it's a, it's a good thing. They're looking to partner with other companies as well. So it, it was a rough start, but we're, we're pretty good um, now that you know, there's a lot more features and um, it's it's easier to maneuver. So I, I, I like it better than my PT. Thank you, Bia. Awesome. Thanks for to all of you for sharing that. Thanks, John, for the great questions. Thank you. Um, all right. There's one final question that was submitted that I would love to ask. Um, and then we're getting close to the top of the hour here. Um, so Andrea asked, what do you think are the, and not me, a different Andrea, what do you think are the top three external forces or factors that will influence physiotherapy practice this quarter? Big picture. Top three external forces. I, well, I think we've pretty much covered most of them. So one is the dollar is worth less tomorrow than it is today because of inflation. So that is, that's a pretty big deal. Um, yeah, so increased cost of living, whatever we wanna call that bucket, um, that's that's really happening right now. And we have to deal with that. Um, the, the second thing is the reimbursement costs are real. <laughs> I think over the last five years, we've had um, a 10% cut in Medicare with another 4% lined up next year. Um, that's pretty devastating. And the third one, what is yet to be seen is what's going to happen in the employment market. It, I see that, you know, and we talked about that here. I see the pendulum starting to swing back the other way, especially for, you know, those positions that we're hiring for that were less than $20 a, an hour general. Um, that is starting to come back in because Chick-fil-A is not paying 24 bucks an hour or whatever they were paying before. Um, that is going away. So they're the the three biggest, um, as I see it. Yeah. Um, the other, yeah. So along the lines of, uh, filling space and filling schedules, there will be a, a poll that comes up here. We do have, um, we have a tool at breakthrough specifically around email, two-way texting, reaching out to your patient list, but more than happy to hop on with any of you and show you exactly what we're doing there. There's a poll there 
If you would like to see that, the same system that we're using in our practice, just click yes, and our team will reach out to you and schedule a time to show you what it can look like for you in your practice. Otherwise, I uh, wanted to thank everybody for hopping on here, putting the work in, um, being highly engaged. Um, it's not an easy time to be a practice owner right now. So thank you for being in the trenches. Um, and uh, like I said, uh, being very active. Also, you're doing great work. Offering the opportunity for us all to engage. This is great. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Thank Thanks, you. everyone. We will be doing this um, every month on the first Tuesday of each month. Um, so you'll probably you'll all be getting the links to sign up for the next one and you should be able to sign up um, in batches. So you're you have these on your calendar. So we look forward to seeing you again in the future. Thank you. Happy New Year. Thank you. Thank you. Remember to visit GetBreakthrough.com to access our free resource library designed specifically for private practice growth. While you're there, make sure you register for a complimentary growth assessment to learn about potential opportunities for growth in your local market. Again, thank you for tuning into the Grow Your Practice podcast and supporting our mission to help people in pain get back to normal naturally.